Streaming from Abby Cat Recording Studio in Chicago. You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. My name is Blake Sokoloff. Yeah, and I'm Robert Dean. Welcome to the second episode of the third season of Influenced. And this week we are covering the uh, iconic synth pop and alternative band Depeche Mode. Yeah, happy to be covering them from uh, just outside, just a little bit east of London. They were formed in 1980 by the primary members Vince Clark, Andy Fletcher, Martin Gore, and David Gahan. They were kind of formed by two different bands or groups kind of coalescing into one. So I guess Vince Clark and Andy Fletcher at the time, all around 18 to 19, I think, mm-hmm. kind of finishing the English equivalent of high school yeah. and kind of getting into getting into college. And they all were kind of living in the same area, getting into the same music, the same music scene. And Vince Clark and Andy Fletcher had a had just a duo where Vince Clark was playing guitar and singing and Andy Fletcher was playing bass and Martin Gore was kind of singing in his own little acoustic duo or whatever and then eventually got drafted into their group mm-hmm. as another guitarist and I think kind of singer and then the three of them were kind of just like diddling around in their in their early gigs and they found they found David Gahan at this, uh, I guess, kind of just like local jam session where a bunch of musicians would kind of get together and just, you know, jam or kind of show up, uh, show up and kind of be like, oh, this is the best I can do or whatever. Try to impress all the other musicians in the scene. Yeah. And all that. And I guess the as they kind of tell the story, Dave got up there and did a kind of sang a blistering rendition of the 1977 David Bowie track Heroes, which they were all kind of very influenced by that mid 70s mm-hmm. Berlin synth heavy kind of ambient David Bowie period. So I'm going to play just the track here just real, real quick for a second. But uh, this song was kind of the reason that Dave Gahan got into Depeche Mode. And this is like so this song, they, they've even broken out a, a cover of this song in some of their more recent tours. Uh, in the last couple of decades, but this song is definitely a very important mark, watermark, so to speak, in the Depeche Mode history. So here's Heroes by David Bowie from 1977 from the album of the same name. Nothing, nothing will keep us together. We can beat them forever. Just 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, an influence for, uh, for Depeche Mode there with David Bowie and, and like you said, the mid seventies stuff and kind of a really cool way that Dave Gahan was, uh, I would say discovered by the band and kind of interesting because he's pretty widely considered a top 50 vocalist in oh, rock absolutely. and roll history. Yeah. He's definitely, especially among like kind of rock band and band vocalists, Dave Gahan is definitely, definitely up there with, yeah. with some of the better, better vocalists like David Bowie and, mm-hmm. and, and people like that. But they were also very influenced by some of the other kind of more gothic and darker music that was kind of coming out at around the same time. Like the early Cure and Susie mm-hmm. and the Banshees and Kraftwerk were all very big influences. So I'm going to play snippets here of a Kraftwerk and Susie and the Banshees song here real quick. But this is Happy House from the 1980 album Kaleidoscope, which was definitely a big influence in kind of Depeche Mode always kind of choosing to have a little bit of a darker edge mm-hmm. to their sound. And that's probably something they kind of gleaned from the Banshees and Susie Sue. So here's a quick snippet of Happy House from the 1980 album Kaleidoscope. Yeah, as we've talked about in a previous podcast, Susie and Banshees had a very long list of influences. And, uh, you know, interesting, um, Depeche Mode has a super long list, as we'll get into later. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Similarly, like artistically, uh, very heavy bands. So I think a lot of musicians kind of gleam onto a lot of those kind of bands like Susie and the Banshees and Depeche Mode as well. Mm-hmm. And, I think a big thing in in Depeche Mode's kind of early years, and this is just like a, because they were coming up in the early 80s, this was kind of the first period where synthesizers and things like that were actually sort of affordable for the everyday musician. Like back in the early 70s and late 60s, you really had to be a, a musician like with the resources of Stevie Wonder or the Beatles to yeah. really get to play with a lot of synthesizers. And then in... In the late 70s and early 80s, you had bands like Kraftwerk coming out and they were like Kraftwerk made a lot of their own synthesizers themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it was becoming the, to the point where you could actually order kits and buy build the keyboard yourself or something like that. So it was becoming a lot more affordable for bands to base their sounds a lot around a lot more at the time, modern sounds and the synthesizers and drum machines. So that was obviously a very big part of Depeche, Depeche Mode sound their whole career. But this they they took a lot of that from Kraftwerk and Kraftwerk was definitely one of the earliest bands that actually showed you could use fully electronic sounds and not just make super obscure textural ambient kind of film score kind of music. You could actually do something with a backbeat that could be played in a club. So here is from 1978 from the Man Machine album, The Model by Kraftwerk.
Kraftwerk was very cool German band from the seventies and uh, really cool band. And you can really hear that just absolutely direct influence there. Especially in this early Depeche Mode stuff, like yeah. in the song we're about to play the Vince Clark penned, I just can't get enough. One of the band's first big hits. You can, if, if you listen to the, just like the dot, 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 dot kind of synthesizers and then in this next Depeche Mode song, you can really hear that in that Kraftwerk song we just mm -hmm. listened to, almost the same kind of sound. But here is I Just Can't Get Enough from Depeche Mode's first full album from 1981. This was when, in the early days of the band, Vince Clark was very much like the main songwriter and producer of the band, so to speak. And he was very inspired by like a lot of pop melodies mm -hmm. and kind of simplistic pop songs, which the band very much kind of gleamed onto in this early period. And the first Speak and Spell 1981 Depeche Mode album is very much all about uh, Vince Clark's kind of take on this, the band's sound. So here is Just Can't Get Enough, the first big hit that Depeche Mode would have in their career of big hits. Well, I guess Vince uh, Clark had enough after that album because he left huh. the band. Yeah, I mean, he, they talk about he kind of like the band became because of that song became like a pretty fast hit and yeah. hit the top 10 in a number of European countries. They pretty quickly had a very young, especially because they had a very like modern at the time sound. They had a very young teen band kind of fan base. Mm -hmm. And they there's there's interviews you can find with with David and Martin where they talk about once the band started getting fan letters that asked them like what kind of socks they would wear and uh. like what kind of clothes they liked. I think that kind of started to wig Vince Clark out a little bit. And maybe that was just not what he wanted yeah. out of chasing his artistic uh, freedom, so to speak. So he announced pretty quickly after the a little quick tour of that album that mm -hmm. he was no longer going to be involved in, in Depeche Mode. And pretty quickly, Martin Gore kind of stepped up as the kind of primary songwriter because he had actually written a couple B-sides uh, in the early, early year or so of Depeche Mode's career. So he was kind of the next most qualified songwriter, so yeah. to speak. So he kind of stepped up and was like, all right, I can kind of take over some of these some of these responsibilities songwriting wise. Mm -hmm. But that did mean they would definitely change a lot of the ways that they would write. The, a lot of the simplistic pop songs would kind of go out the window. They would still have very catchy hooks and things like that. Like there would still be a great chorus on a lot of their a lot of their hits. But the the songs would start to become about a little bit more obscure topics mm -hmm. or more of a philosophical kind of kind of weight to them and the band did also to kind of fill some of the musician gap that was left by Vince Clark as well they put out an ad 
right after an anonymous ad in in a couple music magazines that said something along the lines of like looking for synthesizer player classically trained pianist must be under 21 <laughs> something like that and it was like the the band said or the ad said that it was a name band so to speak so they they found out of that ad the classically trained keyboardist Alan Wilder who very quickly joined the band and melded really well into the group, especially with Martin Gore getting along very well and kind of becoming the next kind of songwriting and production partner for the band for sure. Mm -hmm. And his kind of take on some of the modern sampler and synth heavy production of the time actually brought in some pretty heavy changes to the band's sound. And he was actually bringing in samplers and sampling real world sounds like he would go to construction yeah. sites and ask the construction worker to hit a hit an anvil with a sledgehammer and yeah. he'd record that sound and then use it as one of the drum sounds or one of an atmospheric kind of texture mm-hmm. in some of their sounds in the albums and they actually got into this so much that they named their third album from 1983 construction time again and the album cover actually features a guy like with a sledgehammer like about to like strike a rock so a lot of these industrial and kind of environmental sounds were all over this album and a lot of the kind of sounds that they were making, which definitely gave them this very unique sound as a band because it's not like anyone could go replicate the exact anvil that right. Depeche Mode was hitting to get this exact thing because it was a sample that Alan Wilder made himself. So yeah. here is one of the biggest songs off of Construction Time again from 1983, Everything Counts which would go on to chart in the top 30 in multiple European countries and actually like outcharted almost all of Vince Clark's uh, original songs that he wrote while he was in the band. And they that kind of gave them this edge of mm. confidence, like, oh, we can actually continue to write big pop songs our, ourselves. So here's Everything Counts from 1983, Depeche Mode, Construction Time Again. great song and you can really start to hear that um classic depeche mode sound really emerging there definitely and like those metallic textures in the beginning are absolutely like some weird metal pipes that the band was just sampling and pitching and messing with and the band actually on the tours you can find some very fun uh youtube live videos of the band in the mid 80s from like 1983 to 1985 or 6 and if you actually watch their live videos uh martin Uh, David and Alan all have these like pieces of metal at their like stations Mm. and they will like at different points strike the pieces of metal with hammers and things like that to make these different textural sounds actually live while they were playing concerts. So it's a very interesting, unique experience. Like you don't see that many bands with hammers banging on metal 
uh, in making like groovy rock music. Mm-hmm. Usually if you see a band on stage banging banging hammers onto stuff, it's some weird experimental stuff. Yeah, so yeah. they were definitely coming into a very unique sound and they definitely kind of continue to just hone that sound in for the next kind of couple albums. The They actually struck kind of their biggest hit of their career so far with the song People Are People in 1984, I believe off of the album some great reward and that song actually became one of the themes for i think the 1984 olympics that's right at least for the um televised appearances in europe they were playing this song Mm -hmm. and this song also kind of became a very big hit with a lot of the gay communities which depeche mode has kind of always been a very big band in that kind of community. So this People Are People song is definitely one of the tracks that kind of led to Depeche Mode coming into their band identity that they've been kind of associated with since the mid 80s. So here's People Are People from 1984's Some Great Reward. a really great example of the of the great songwriting by Gore and with Wilder herself. This album, Some Great Reward, also really saw the band kind of dig into a lot of the songwriting topics that would be kind of become some of their most famous and kind of become some of the more alternative topics that they would talk about. Like the song Blasphemous Rumors from the same album actually talks about kind of religious ideology and their viewpoint that God, if he existed, would probably be have some kind of sick, twisted sense of humor, given all the kind of tragedy that befalls human humankind and things like that. So they were definitely striking some alternative chords. Mm-hmm. And while they were still sort of a like teen band in England, because they could never totally shake that early, I just can't get enough sound from a lot of the European fans that knew them since that point. They were kind of becoming this burgeoning alternative band in the U.S. because the U.S. didn't necessarily get that early Vince Clark kind of sound that they were now just starting to get picked up on some of the early alternative and college radio stations that would be kind of playing a lot of this more Mm -hmm. unique music and some of the music that has, you know, songwriting themes that aren't necessarily PG, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And the band would kind of actually lean more and more into this kind of sound or this kind of scene that they were picking up in America over their next couple albums, both Black Celebration and Music for the Masses in 1985 and 87, respectively. And Music for the Masses specifically would become one of their biggest albums up to that point with the song Never Let Me Down Again, topping the uh, or getting into the top 30 of the U.S. charts. They were starting to kind of get that U.S., uh, fervor going and the actual they were they made a movie about the tour off of the music of the masses 
album called, uh, I think it's just called 101. And the movie kind of ends with this culmination. I think they played for like 65,000 people at the Rose Bowl in in, uh, Pasadena, California. Mm -hmm. And there was actually like a riot that took place outside of the uh, concert venue because at another venue, the band got announced as like um, signing some records or something. And they didn't, it was at some record store and they didn't think that many people would show up. And then they ended up having to like call the police and the band had to leave because of how many people showed up at this record store. They got sworn by fans. So they were kind of all of a sudden this big deal band in the US. And this was definitely something that almost took the band a little bit by surprise because it was kind of just bubbling up under these college and alternative radio stations. But here is Never Let Me Down Again, uh, one of the biggest hits of the Music for the Masses album. And you can really hear the band is starting to really get involved with some of the highest quality synthesizer work that you could get in this time. And just the sound quality of the albums is drastically improved just over the last couple of years. So Music for the Masses really hit Depeche Mode getting right into the mainstream, both in the U.S. and across Europe. So here is Never Let Me Down Again from 1987's Music for the Masses. Which you can also hear uh, pretty recently in the finale of one of HBO's uh, episodes of The Last of Us. I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit here and just say um, that album, Music for the Masses, and the, and the next one that you're going to talk about, which is Violator, um, I, I suspect you're going to talk about that one next anyway, oh, absolutely. since it was the next one they, they recorded. But those those albums are, in my mind, pretty timeless. I mean, you I could argue, sure. yeah, you could argue that that's stuff that comes out five years from now. You know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Music for the Masses and Violator absolutely still hold up to this day. They definitely fully got out of that kind of very 80s sound. I mean, like a lot of their early music is fantastic, but it is very much of the of the decade of the 80s. Yeah. But by the by the late 80s, 87 to about 1990, when mm-hmm. Violator was recorded and released, they were definitely very timeless and they knew how to work the studio to get exactly the sounds they wanted to. And they were working with producers that they really, really respected. Like they actually brought in the... Uh, producer flood to work on violator with him and he would actually go on to produce some of the most iconic alternative albums of the decade of the 90s he would go on to work with my bloody valentine on their loveless album and also smashing pumpkins Mm -hmm. on their melancholy and the infinite sadness album so he is one of the best probably alternative producers in the in the genre and this album violator was one of the first major records that he got his name out on. So he might not have worked on Loveless or Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness had he not been on Violator. So Violator, we opened the podcast with Policy for Policy of Truth, one of my favorite tracks off Violator, but mm-hmm. we would be 
we would be remiss to not play this track, probably their most iconic song and one of the biggest songs of the decade of the 90s. But Enjoy the Silence would become kind of their classic hit. And it has almost half a billion plays on Spotify to this day. So it's definitely one of the best uh, kind of long lasting hits that everyone, I mean, everyone knows this song. So here's <laughs> Enjoy the Silence, a snippet of it, at least from the 1990 album Violator by Depeche Mode. Huge hit by uh, Depeche Mode, but I, you know, it just kind of blows you away when you think about that half a billion listens on Definitely. Spotify. I mean, how is that even possible? It's unbelievable. Yeah, from a song released in 1990, for sure. <laughs> and the band was definitely like, they were very much like in the uh, kind of scene at this time. Like when they toured off of Violator, there's an estimated that the album itself charted in the Billboard Top 10 in the US and in the Top 10 in the UK and multiple countries across across the world but there's when the band went on this tour it was their biggest tour so far ever and i think one of the biggest tours the band has actually done to this point mm -hmm. and there was actually like an estimated 1.2 million fans that saw the band on the tour for this album so wow. they were they were going across the whole world and just like had the hits to back it up yeah. so they were they were absolutely at the pinnacle of their career when violator was released and after kind of Violator, I mean, you can even hear it a little bit on Violator, like Enjoy the Silence has that great kind of almost Cure-like guitar line throughout yeah. it. But the band yeah. was definitely getting a little bit more influenced by some of the rock that was kind of happening in the late 80s and especially into the early 90s with bands like, like Nirvana and mm -hmm. things like that kind of happening. The band was kind of definitely getting into that kind of grunge and very heavy rock sound that was happening um and dave david actually moved to the u.s yeah to be closer to that scene i don't know if he moved to seattle specifically but i think he moved to kind of the west coast yeah west coast. Uh, at, the, at the very least so he could be kind of seeing bands like pearl jam and nirvana and things like that when they came through and he yeah. was kind of getting as involved in that scene as he could. The album that they made in 1993 definitely saw the band being the most rock and roll that they could be. And this was kind of augmented by the fact that Alan Wilder was playing a lot more live instrumentation that he was adding onto the songs. In addition to just like the synthesizers and samplers, Alan Wilder started adding some live drums to the songs, which gave them that rock edge that has that big, heavy drum sound. And even Martin getting Martin Gore to put a little bit more of a guitar line on a lot of the songs, like the track I'm going to play uh, in just a second here called I Feel You, the kind of one of the bigger singles from the album, has this very heavy guitar line that could almost be from like an Alice in Chains song or something like that. So 
Here is I Feel You from the 1993 album Songs of Faith and Devotion from Depeche Mode. They're definitely their heaviest album up to this point for sure. So here is I Feel You. Well, Blake, as you and I uh, heard and saw in, I think, 2018 when we saw um, mm-hmm. Depeche Mode, I mean, that, that song in particular is just an excellent live song. Definitely fantastic live track. And the band actually went on another massive tour. They called it the Devotional Tour yeah. uh, in 1993. And it actually kind of saw the band begin to sort of fall apart. The band was, uh, David was kind of in this period in, in his life, maybe partially influenced by some of the rockers he was hanging out with, but he was in a very heavy drug use state and was using some heroin and Mm -hmm. I think a fair amount of cocaine on this tour and was actually even requiring like cortisone shots to get on stage and perform, which is pretty crazy. Uh, And Martin Gore was suffering from some alcoholic induced like stress seizures and things like that. And Mm -hmm. Fletcher actually left the band and was replaced by a roadie for the last kind of half of the tour because he was just like he couldn't deal with it anymore. His depression and things like that were getting the best of him. And so unfortunately, at the end of the tour, Alan Wilder kind of decided that he could no longer really just like healthily be involved in the project and and, or anything like that. So he kind of announced at the end of the devotional tour that that would be his last work with Depeche Mode. And so Depeche Mode kind of settled down a little bit uh, after that just to kind of recover. I think they honestly needed a few years after that tour to kind of just become human beings again. And they came back together for one album called Ultra in the 90s, 1997 as a trio. And they enlisted a couple other producers to help out on the album to kind of fill some of the musical gaps left by Alan Wilder. And this album does still have a lot of that classic Depeche Mode 90s edge. And there's a fantastic track called It's No Good that I'm going to play a snippet here of real quick. But you can definitely hear the the album kind of feels like it's missing a little bit of something with Alan Wilder having so suddenly gone. But here's It's No Good from Depeche Mode, kind of the last... 90s album and sort of the last album of the classic kind of period Mm -hmm. of the band so here's It's No Good by Depeche Mode from 
Yeah, they were still sounding very good in, on that album in 1997. But, um, at, you know, I just think of Depeche Mode as such a huge influence on on the you know world of rock and roll. Absolutely. And just like all, especially alternative music. Yeah. And they kind of gave bands the, uh, they were one of the, the acts that gave bands an excuse to kind of mess with drums and rock and roll and synthesizers and kind of all in one big mix. And one mm-hmm. of the bands I feel like that does that the best in kind of the last couple of decades has been the Killers. Yeah, obviously the classic indie rock band out of Las Vegas that started in the early two thousands. But Brendan Flowers, the frontman of the Killers, is always touted like synth pop and especially bands like New Order and Depeche Mode as major influences. Mm-hmm. And you can really hear the influence very, very obliquely, so to speak, on their track from their. 2008 album day and age kind of one of their biggest songs human has that very much that kind of synth pop kind of backbeat feel to it so here's human by the killers from 2008's day and age album Yeah, I mean, the Killers definitely took a page of Depeche Mode's book there with just real driving drum and um, great synth. Definitely, absolutely. And like that was very much an example of, I feel like, the influence of some of that more polished music of the masses and Violator era Depeche Mode. Yeah. And But that era of kind of dirty industrial sound Depeche Mode has also been very influential on some of the more alternative and experimental artists and one of my favorite kind of pop artists of the last few years is this kind of experimental artist poppy who is even like sometimes mixed some like metal and hard rock with her with her music but on her 2020 album i disagree there's a song called blood money that actually has a very oblique call out to depeche mode where she's where she mentions the grabbing hands always grab what they can so i'm going to play just a snippet of that blood money song here and this song is very much like a modern very experimental kind of hyper pop kind of track with some rock influence but it definitely goes to show where some of that dirtier depeche mode sound influence can kind of be heard in music from just the last two or three years even so here's blood money by poppy from the 2020 album i disagree Yeah, cool influence by uh, Depeche Mode there with Poppy. Very industrial sound. Definitely very industrial. 
And that, I mean, the lyrics of that song even kind of play into some of the Depeche Mode kind of blasphemous rumors era kind of songwriting, just kind of examining our our um, relationships with some of the uh, religious kind of figures in the world and things like that. So it's a great kind of influence to show like where Depeche Mode's kind of examples can be heard in, in music today. And they also even get get um, touted as an influence on a lot of even larger name pop stars like Shakira and even mm-hmm. Dua Lipa on her album Future Nostalgia that kind of has that sort of 80s throwback sound have definitely talked about Depeche Mode being an influence of theirs. And Depeche Mode have continued kind of over the last decades as well. Like they they release albums every now and again, kind of the last, like over the last two decades or so, I think they've released like three or four albums. So it's not necessarily like the yearly release rate that they were going in the 80s, but they still, whenever they feel like they have things to say, they definitely kind of, get into the studio and kind of find a way to make those statements. Mm-hmm. And David himself has actually kind of since Alan Wilder left, it took him a few years to actually get out there as a songwriter. But nowadays on, on the more modern Depeche Mode albums, Martin Gore and David are actually kind of the songwriting duo themselves. And unfortunately in 2022, Andy Fletcher passed away uh, after a very short illness. Yeah, I think it was he, kind of a... It was like a cardiac arrest type of yeah, situation. Yeah, I, I believe I, that's what it, it was. Just, I, blood stopped pumping into his heart, unfortunately, and he yeah. died very suddenly. Yeah, he died very suddenly. But he, uh, in the last kind of couple of decades, had taken more of a backseat business role with the band. So the band is still continuing as a duo, just Martin and David now, and they have an yeah. album that they've announced. No, we haven't heard anything from it yet, but they have an album they've announced and they're going on tour over the next kind of album, this next year, 2023. So if they come to your city, I absolutely recommend a Depeche Mode show. It's a fantastic live show. Definitely. And they have, the last album they released was 2017 Spirit, which has a very, very political edge to it. I think they were inspired primarily by both the Brexit movement in mm-hmm. the UK and also Donald Trump's election in the US, kind of their two bigger um, markets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And this album is very political. It's called Spirit. And the lead single and biggest track off this album is Where's the Revolution? So I'm going to close the podcast with this song, Where's the Revolution, from their newest album, Spirit. But this has been Depeche Mode's influence so thank you guys so much i've been blake sokoloff and i'm robert dean and you guys can follow us at influence.podcast on instagram if you want to get notifications whenever we get a new episode or just to see some fun behind the scenes stuff so thank you guys so much this has been influence and here is where's the revolution off the album spirit from 2017 by depeche mode thank you guys so much
The revolution.